This episode contains sensitive content that some listeners may find upsetting. Please know that much like an airline safety briefing, it may get quite turbulent for a while. But do stay buckled in and we will have a safe landing, somewhere sunny, warm and with a happy ending. Hi, and welcome to the My Muy Bueno Women in Business podcast to inspire, empower, strengthen, support, and motivate you on your walk as a woman in business. I'm Justine Murphy, founder and CEO of My Muy Bueno, and a great big welcome to season two. Yay! I feel like we need like a fanfare button there, but we don't have one. So I hope you are all great after our short break between the uh, fantastic end of last season with the brilliant Serena. And uh, yeah, it's uh, we're still on lockdown. Oh, here in London, uh, we do have, obviously, I'm sure you've all heard in the news, the steps moving us out of lockdown, but it's still a way to go. Um, yeah, eating out, terraces outside only kind of mid-April and then late May for eating in restaurants. So there's still some time to go, um, but at least it's something. And most importantly, my boys go back to school on Monday. Ha ha ha, where's that fanfare button again? Woo! Yes. Um, very, very good news because it's been a really, really tough time. This has definitely been the hardest lockdown because of that, for sure. That's been the, I think that's been the biggest difference. Um, the last few lockdowns, they've, they were still having school. Um, this was very reminiscent to us being back in Mallorca when lockdown first, when everything first hit and the pandemic hit and the state of alarm was called, um, which is crazy that we're coming up in a few weeks time to a whole year since that. Um, it's just insane. But yeah, this lockdown has been really hard. Um, you know, having two little boys aged six and seven who, you know, it's trying to juggle, you know, my working full time and um, juggling all the balls, maintaining the business, running the business, pushing forward in all the ways, uh, despite all the ongoing hurdles constantly. And then um, homeschooling side, you know, which we've kind of, we committed just to not all the classes, just a few of the classes in a week, you know, they have one each every day and Seth has extra one-on-ones to help him more um and even doing those is hard enough you know it's like dragging them to do it you know um and it's been really testing and the last few weeks have been grueling my husband hasn't really been coping so well with it all um he's really felt the pressure of having the kids at home so I've taken kind of a lot of his workload off him which of course then is kind of given me you know literally kind of working 18 hour days um trying to juggle all the balls and dealing with my team and and you know bearing in mind I've streamlined my team right down so there's a huge amount of the load that I'm carrying and then the emotional side of that as well so very much just been steering my family through this um trying to get everyone to you know keep it keep keep it all together um and see a light at the end of the tunnel which definitely has lightened the load the second the announcement about school 
opening came. Um, so yeah, it's been really hard um, and very emotional. Like literally some days waking up with this heavy emotion right on the surface of my chest and going to do my workout in the morning and just kind of sobbing, just releasing it all. It's been really hard because um, it's so, it's so, you know, not normal. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, men definitely struggle, definitely so much more uh, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, that's really hard. It's hard on your marriage. It's hard on, you know, really testing. We've had some really testing weeks, actually. It's been, um, yeah, very hard. I found from a man's perspective, you know, men like to go off in their cave, go off and deal with it. So my husband was dealing with it by just going off for walks, really long walks. And then obviously me like, hello, I'm still here. Um, you know, and it's just how different we are from men and women, I guess. And how we deal with things you know uh, I'm a woman who loves to talk and talk it out and dissect it and talk it out some more and that's how I process it how I get over something how I heal uh and men of course you know are literally from Mars <laughs> um and we are from Venus clearly like the book says just completely different way of handling things and obviously everything under lockdown is just so much more you know just everything is is yeah, it's so it's it's crazy. It's literally like you're under a magnifying glass and the littlest things, you know, can cause upsets and stress and it's very hard. But we've navigated through what's been a really hard few weeks and come out the other side. Um but it's yeah, I've I've yeah, really found it tough. Um but yeah, slowly but surely now feel like kind of getting back on track again and feeling more normal. And I think once the boys go back to school next week, it will be even more. So, um, and yeah, my husband's kind of now like back to his normal self again, which is great. And I just think, you know, there is no, what is normal right now? There is, there is no normal. And, um, we've just got to be kind to ourselves and, and patient with each other and yeah, get through this crazy time. Um, I mean, yeah, it's nuts. So I hope you're all doing well out there. And, you know, I can only, and recognizing that if there are similar situations going on in your world, you know, that it's, you know, again, just got to take things one day at a time. And we just got to keep positive and keep pushing forward and keep adapting. And that's all we can do right now. Um, you know, but uh, things are going to be better. Of course they are. Uh, we've just got to get there. You know, this is all fallen on our watch and our generation, our time. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm positive that we're moving in the right direction in all things. And I think once everything starts to open up again by summer, it's going to be this wonderful vibe. The clocks will have changed. Spring is already starting to spring everywhere with daffodils, which is amazing. I've missed daffodils. You know, the one thing from living in, well, from being on yachts for a long time and then being living in Mallorca, I used to always say how much I missed the seasons. It was the one thing I've always missed, um, that kind of nature's way of telling us that we're going into a new season and seeing these beautiful pink cherry blossoms everywhere uh, we had we had almond blossom in Mallorca which was great but but here I mean seeing the streets of London these beautiful pink oh beautiful pink blossom is just gorgeous and then the daffodils and the crocuses they're just popping up everywhere and yeah that's really nice and uh I think lifting the spirits of so many people um as well we had some nice weather over the weekend and there's nothing like a bit of sunshine to lift your day brighten your day quite literally so yeah it's been crazy um but here we are season two and uh I've got a really epic 
season lined up. I'm really excited. Uh, got some pretty excellent guests going to be coming on, sharing their journeys with you. Um, you know, these are women I've, I'm massively inspired for, uh, by. I've, you know, got out and, you know, approached and asked them to come on the show. Uh, women who I really think that you will benefit from hearing their stories. Women who I just think that, you know, uh, t- can, can really contribute um, to the podcast in order to... <clears throat> in order to share their journeys or their expertise with you um, and to continue on this journey and this mission that I have to just keep on inspiring and empowering and uplifting you. And as always, shining light on the stuff that no one else will talk about or wants to talk about or it's taboo to talk about. Well, you know, we're going to be covering it all here. And for me, it's like, let's crank it up now. You know, we've just 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 kind of mooched into it in season one. Um, and thank you for all of you amazing listeners who have been tuning in and your messages have been amazing. I must say the naysayer episode seems to have been one of the most popular episodes and it's the one I get messages on all the time just to say, wow, wow, that episode resonated with me. And you know why that is? Because we're talking about real topics and real issues that affect us in everyday light. And we need to talk about them because it's how we get stronger. It's how we learn. It's how we reflect. It's how we grow um, and come out the other side, you know, uh, stronger and wiser and better for it and able to feel more equipped for any future situations or experiences, which of course leads me to today's episode, which is titled Overcoming Adversity, which really, for me, it's very symbolic now that we're going into this new season and it's definitely a time for me to share my story with you. Um, It's, yeah, it's my story is not normal. in any way. And it's taken me a really long time to find my voice with sharing my story. And uh, yeah, it's, I guess it's taken time because I've had to, I've I've had to get strong and recognize how my story is very different. And uh, the things I've been through that they're not in vain and that they can be used to help others and to really show that no matter what you've been through in life um, or what you may be going through now, that you will and you can get through the other side. Um, and that's the that's the biggest tug for me. That really is, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, people judge without knowing people's story. You know, it's so easy to be like, oh, look at her. Look at what she's done with her company. I'm sure mummy and daddy have provided all the money for that. And hell no, (laughs) I've worked very hard for every cent that I've had and lost and built up again, you know, so, um, but people don't know. And also people to understand, you know, that, you can literally do something from nothing. And for me, I've come from, if it was a minus, minus 100 or something, then that would be where my background was. So to be where I am today on my journey, knowing and sharing in my authentic truth, um, because it's what makes me me. And it's, it's also what's driven me to create my company, my brand, and why I do everything that I do um, and why I stand true to it with every fiber and being in my body, um, because it's, it is 
you know, it's me on a plate really. So, and staying true to that and staying true to not compromising on things and why that is. So we're going to be really shining light on all of that today. It's, um, it's going to be a heavy episode. So this is a warning now. I have put the the, the warning button uh, sign on this podcast. Um, so if you have been affected in, with childhood trauma or anything along those lines in your life, just please obviously listen with, with I hope you do listen because this episode is here to be able to help you. Um, but if it really does affect you or you feel you're not ready to listen, I would stop now um, and maybe come back to it another day or in small doses. Um, and of course, I'm going to be putting on this podcast episode a few numbers and details of helplines if you need to talk after this episode to someone that you have a number to call to do so. Um, so where to, where to even start? It's, uh, yeah, how did it ha- Okay, so my cookbook obviously came out last year and in my cookbook, I share my journey um, a, a small part of it, of course, you know, because it's not the place in a cookbook. However, the reason that came about was kind of over these years of getting stronger and sharing that little bit more, um, in different areas. One of the, I remember doing a poll a couple of years ago on my Instagram, asking my, uh, community there, you know, what, um, what I should do first. Do I write the autobiography or do I write the cookbook? And at the time I took myself away, uh, about two years ago, it was January and I went and stayed in a hotel in Mallorca for a couple of days. Uh, my husband gave me his full blessing just to hear, look after the children. And I would go and just get my head down and just write. Um, and I wanted to write the first few chapters of my autobiography because if I was then looking at literary agents, which I was, I needed to be able to, um, have a, a good amount on paper, you know, written out in order to submit it and find the right agent. So I went and did that. And then of course I was asking people, you know, I've obviously been sharing over the years so much on my Instagram, everything I'm cooking and making and developing recipes and playing with everything. And then saying, you know, which one first, the autobiography or the cookbook. And so many people came back with messages as opposed to picking one of the poll options and saying both. Because it was like, well, your story is you and sharing your story, you know, and how it's connected with your food and your cookbook and your life and My Muy Bueno, it's all one big package. And it really stuck with me. And I kind of said, yeah, but that doesn't really exist. How does, you know, no one else has done anything like that. And I remember um, a friend, actually, it was Anne, Anne Scott, who was one of my first guests last season from Girl Gone International. I remember she messaged back and because she, she was one of the people who said it. And she said, you know, it's not your place to worry about that. You just go, go and do it. And, you know, it will find its place in the market, in the right market. Um, and... So that's what I did. I started to, um, you know, work on my cookbook, but at the same time, uh, putting all my autobiography down uh, in a still a sh- very short version of it, and then kind of incorporating that into my book to be able to really share kind of where I've come from to where I am today and how that's 
had an impact, how it's shaped and molded me into the woman I am today, why it's played such a big influence in my recipes, my food, um, and, and how I run my business and, and why my business is what it is. So, um, and the plan will be to, of course, um, when the time is right, do my autobiography. And for sure, I would love to sell the film rights of it and see it made into a film as well, you know, just because it is an extraordinary story because it's it's, and even like, you know, writing notes just now, you know, or preparing for today's podcast, it's almost, and I felt the same when I was writing for my book, it was, it's almost like looking at someone else's life, you know, um, of course, it saddens me, it saddens me for the child and for the teenager and for the young woman that, who went through all the things I and the atrocities that I went through um at the hands of a lot of people um but I'm very grateful that I'm alive and I'm here and I'm very blessed that's why God is such an anchor in my life uh because he has saved me many many times um but yeah to really kind of um give you that understanding that just yeah no matter what you've been through you you really can come through the other side and I've done so kind of without any help or sharing or talking is just by my my faith and my determination for a better quality of life and and refusing to allow the the cards I'd been dealt to be the cards that I would live with uh, for the rest of my life uh, and and making that change and taking that with two hands and making it and then no longer compromising and having core values to stand by um, and to no longer tolerate wrongs or naysayers or bad people in any way in my life. So I guess we've got to go all the way back. Um, uh, firstly, actually, sorry, before we jump straight in, back into my childhood, the where this all kind of even came from in regards to just starting to find a voice. So rewinding back to Mallorca a couple of, quite a few years, about three or four years ago now, um, I was invited to do a, um, uh, a raw desserts workshop and a juicing workshop for a women's retreat conference in Mallorca. And I was asked to, uh, if I would also share my testimony, uh, you know, and I was kind of like, um, I thought I was only going to be doing juicing and making desserts, not standing there talking about my life. And the woman running it said, you know, but, you know, you're an amazing woman. I bet you've got, I bet you've got a really interesting story. And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do. I really do. But I've just never talked about it. And I guess that's because, of course, you know, the things that have happened to me, I've locked them away, I've padlocked them, I've shoved them into the furthest part of my heart and my head, and I've just kind of pushed on and, you know, everywhere I've been through my life, then just not talked about those things and just focused on the good stuff, focused on the moving forward. And also, I guess I'd never been asked. Um, no one had ever kind of stopped to ask me, you know, what my background was or who... I once before the life I lived or the lives I lived before really so of course that opened up a pretty big can of worms um and I remember that night firstly she said it was up to me of course if I wanted to share but she would really love me to do so and it would be you know um quite poignant for the conference and the event to to speak in that way and I went and I sat and I really thought about it prayed about it and just felt the the pull of of 
uh, of, you know, yeah, okay, you know, maybe it's going to help some of these women if I talk about my story, you know, and, and it's really symbolic because my raw desserts, you know, they're raw, they don't get cooked, there's no heat application, so you get the very best nutrients from it. And obviously my juices were raw as well. And I had this word in my mind, which was raw, raw. <laughs> um, and that was where I was feeling. I was really drawn to just then being laid bare and raw and opening up. Um, but it was the first time I had opened up that door, opened up that part of my heart, that part of my head, that whole area that I protected myself so much with um, and the armor I've been putting, you know, put on and wearing all these years. So to let that all down was, yeah, raw. So I sat at my laptop and I started typing on a Word document and I started sharing my story um bearing in mind she said I'd have only 20 minutes and I was like well there's no way I can share my story in 20 minutes you know like there's so much to it so of course I condensed it down and couldn't share a lot of other areas which I've grown to learn to kind of be stronger in sharing um and also it was obviously the first time ever to not only share but speak in front of people sharing it so I typed everything out and I printed it and I went downstairs to my husband and I gave it to him to read because it was hugely important that before I go and tell a room full of strangers this very very personal part of my life my husband needs to know all of it and he knew a lot of it um and like a handful of you know very very close friends in my life everyone kind of knows a little bit of different areas whereas of course my husband knows uh, everything but there were some incidents and things that had happened that he didn't know about um and it was important for him to do so and of course that kind of left him in tears and I was like I'm okay you know I'm okay this has all happened you know yes it's really hard to get it out it's emotionally you know it's upsetting but I'm okay this isn't me now I'm I'm this is me then and this is the stuff I went through but this is me now I'm 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 here and I'm good and I'm strong and I'm you know so uh it came to the actual event day and um oh my gosh I just stood there with this uh it took me about 40 minutes in the end and I was trembling I was shaking I was holding my paper I had tears streaming and I could barely even get the words out um because I hadn't even proofread it I didn't want to even I didn't want to reread it again to see for you know I I just kind of got it out and I thought the next time I read it will be the words on the page that I read at the event day and afterwards it, uh, I had so many women come up to me, um, grab me and just say, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for, you know, the things, you know, you touched on that I've had something similar happen to me or that's happened to me or thank you, you know, for, for shining light, for talking about this. So that was, um, my first step, um, you know, after everything had been buried for a really long time. So that was the first step to starting to kind of own my story and who I am um, to realize that my story is unique to me and um, unlike anything else anyone else has been through because it's my journey, my story, my story to share, uh, my authentic truth. And I guess it, it was the beginning of my journey of kind of, um, I guess, getting some closure in some areas of my life by speaking up about it and shining light on it and no longer 
being so ashamed and putting it, pushing it into the darkness um, because of all the hurt and pain surrounding it. Um, so yeah, that was that. <laughs> and then that really spurred something in me. It, it stirred something in me and it was like, and I couldn't ignore it. And it was just like, you know, well, you've started this now. You've opened up this old wound and you've cleaned it out and it's getting this air now to it. Um, and you've got to, yeah, you, uh, you need to do something with this. Let's do something for, for good. Um, and that you didn't live this life in vain, that you can do something about it and to share uh, with others. So I started... Um, what I first then initially called my, it was actually, it was first called Girl Boss Day. Um, and then it's since evolved to Women in Business Day, which really right now we are in 1st of March. We would have already had my Women in Business Day. It was usually around end of January, beginning of February. Um, and it's a day that I would have a full day um, of women uh, to inspire. Uh, they'd pay for a full day ticket, like a conference. And uh, it started off very small, very personal, kind of no more than like 15 women initially. And I would, in the first half of the day, share my story to help and to inspire others and empower others. And then have a massive lunch which I'd literally have been in that morning like from four in the morning doing loads of cooking to cook a big feast and then in the afternoon I would have like a flip chart and I would go through all the things and all the steps and all of the things that I've done to create my muy bueno to what it is today sharing the things that I've done to help other women so that the things that really resonate with them they can go away and apply in their own life and be inspired by and for me, it's really is always about sharing, sharing honestly and keeping it real. Um, you know, there is always that element, of course, protecting yourself and not putting everything on the table in business. Um, but, on, you know, for me, it's important that, you know, as women, we and we will cover this more down the line, that we... Um, you know, we have to let our guard down sometimes. We have to, you know, not feel threatened or insecure. And, you know, yes, there will be women who will hate on you and all these things that we have to deal with. But, you know, for the vast majority of the time, you know, leading by example, um, you know, many of the guests I used to have for my women in business breakfast, I used to invite another crew agent, I'd invite another raw, ve like a vegan deli owner, like people who were doing similar things to me. And, you know, like to give them a platform because they're them and they've got their own story. And that's what's great to them, but not to feel threatened to not, you know, and to really embody that and embrace that and to represent that um, is something that's so very important to me. Um, so yeah, and that's something we will definitely be talking more about this season so yeah that was the beginning and then from there it developed because it's like well we can't just do this once a year but obviously I'm only willing to share my story once a year um so that was the second time I told my story and again you know only each year after did I kind of become a little bit more confident with sharing it and um you know sharing more of it in in some areas although not fully still um and yeah and and the power that it had and then grew to what it was kind of four years later last year which was like a hundred women and and we couldn't do it in mind we bueno anymore because we didn't have the room because it had kind of gone 15 30 40 that's full capacity and then last year 100 uh rented a hotel and it was amazing and it was like next level gone was the flip chart and you know it's on a powerpoint presentation and a microphone you know like madonna style head mic 
Um, so anyway, that's kind of all the, the backstory of where I kind of came from with that and why. Um, then I have my women in business meet you at breakfasts every month um, and then invited guests to share their story. And it's evolved to what it is today now here on this podcast in COVID times, uh, which is fantastic. So uh, going back to right back to my childhood. So I'm an only child. I was born to an American mother, uh, English father, and I was born in 1980, so I'm 40 now, and um, I lived a really isolated childhood, and that childhood was not normal because that childhood was full of um, a lot of abuse, a lot of beatings um, at the hands of my mother and my father, uh, who used to just take out their anger on each other. My father used to beat my mother. My mother used to beat me. My father used to beat me. It was just this massive pattern. And it's all I, I, I didn't know any different at all because I wasn't allowed to kind of see other people. I couldn't go to sleepovers. I had to, you know, I was driven to school, picked up from school, brought home from school, very controlled. Um, my home, you know, I had a, a, a playroom and I would go in there to play and that was my life, you know, my Shira dolls and my gem dolls and my toys and, um, and the rest of the time was really, really miserable. And I kind of, kind of, I can close my eyes and see little me, you know, um, at a little table being given, uh, food that was, you know, fried or bad or um, sometimes rotten. So uh, there were there were a lot of kind of things that were happening here. There were, you know, issues of of being beaten very often. There was a lot of psychological um, manipulation. So my mother used to kind of feed me things that you know I didn't want to eat. So then I'd be sick uh, from them. Um, and it was this whole control thing. I couldn't leave the table. If I did, I would, you know, I'd sit on this little plastic table on my own in the front room um, and I would be given food. And if I didn't eat that food, it'd be brought back to me again for the next meal and the next meal. And the same with like an evening, I'd be like left to eat my food uh, till, you know, lights are all off in the house and I've just been left there on my own to eat. Um, or yeah, so basically I kind of, you know, we're talking six or seven year old me. It's the age of my children, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah, you'd sit there with this food and and I had to start getting smart. I had to think like, you know, I don't want to eat this food, but I don't want to get beaten for it, for not eating it. And it's made me feel ill. So I started wrapping the food in, in kitchen towel um, and either putting it down my pants and taking it upstairs and flushing it down the toilet or... A few times the toilet started getting blocked, which really scared me because I was terrified if my mother or father found out, you know, or realized what I was doing. I was terrified of the beating I would get. So I then started to wrap it really well in, in kitchen town, put it behind a dresser in the front room where there was like a record player and records. And I would like stick it down the back of there. Um, and that was the pattern. So that way I found, a, I found a way out. I found a way to avoid um, being beaten and eating this food. But of course, what that did is, you know, I, it was the beginning of a um, clearly an eating disorder uh, that, you know, year, only, you know, a few years ago did I recognize that um, 
So that was that. And then, yeah, harder to, to, one thing, writing the notes is another thing, talking about it. So in this way, um, so yeah, that was my life uh, for a really long time, um, my every day, um, until my father left. Um, and then, you know, the me- the meetings were really hard. I don't know why. I don't know why they were so bad, you know, but they wouldn't just be a beating, you know, they were grab a squash racket and, you know, beat the shit out of me beatings. They were black and blue and bruised um, uh, always on my body, never my face, of course, because then, you know, I could school uniform tights could cover things, you know, um, notes could be given to get out of PE and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, the, uh, my father left and then when he left my, it got worse at hands, my mother. Um, and of course, you know, by this time I was probably pretty skinny cause I wasn't eating. I was putting it all down the back of the thing. And anyway, there was the day that, um, all of that food down the back of there started to s- smell, <laughs> Uh, and start to smell really bad and I can remember it like it was yesterday my mother moving the whole thing out the way and all of these wet tissues kitchen rolls they'd all stuck to the wall between being pushed down the top and where they'd fallen to the bottom they'd all like amassed like like 100 200 of them there were just so many and there was just mold growing and it was I mean and oh my word, I just, yeah, she just hit the roof. Um, I don't remember much after that. I remember blacking out, which I used to often do. I suffered from febrile convulsions um, after beatings. I'd have beatings and then have febrile convulsions. And I remember my mother used to pinch me to snap me out of them. So yeah, I lived a really awful existence. You know, I don't even want to say childhood because it was, you know, I was young, I was a child, but I was existing. Um, I just lived and used to kind of look up in, in the sky and see airplanes going over and I'd jump up and down and say, hey, you know, take me away, take me away. Um, so yeah, that was all of that until I was probably like, gosh, eight or nine, um, and then my, my mother was just cranking it up really in terms of her behavior. My father would come to the house sometimes. Um, and my highlight of where he used to take me was me desperate to do something with him. But he, so he'd be like, oh, I'm going to Tesco's. You can come with me. And I'd be like, okay, yes. You know, because I'm so desperate to spend time with my daddy and looked at him, idolized him through the eyes of a child, you know, just, you know, out of the, who was the lesser of the two evils, you know, it was him versus my mother because she was just, you know, really the things she was doing were cranking up to a whole different level behind closed doors. And, uh, but yeah, I would take whatever love there was whenever it was possibly kind of given or or if asked you know provided but looking back at it now it's so shit I mean it was a trip to Tesco for goodness sakes you know I'm not taken out or go to the park or anything normal you know um so I kind of went through this whole existence we had a cat um our cat Alfie was a Siamese cat he was like 18 years old and he was uh really old um and I remember 
he, he was dying. Um, there was this one night and he wasn't well and he was shivering. And my mother wrapped him in foil. Yeah, <laughs> wrapped him in foil. I must have been like eight or nine years old. Um, and he and, and she just said, well, just hold on to him, look after him. He's dying now. And I was just like, like, what? And then she went to bed. She just went upstairs and left me with this cat in foil, tin foil to keep him warm in my arms. Um, and I remember like looking at him and stood there for I don't know how long. Um, and I remember looking at his eyes started going really milky. So it's like his whole body was starting to deteriorate. And, you know, I was trying to, you know, of course, trying to comprehend what was going on in my mind. And I remember carrying him upstairs to my mother's room and stood there. Um, and then he started urinating in my, like through the foil and it was just running down my arms. And I stood there crying, saying, help me, help me. You know, he's, he's you know, and, and then she, she kind of just woke up and, you know, you know, get him out of here. And what are you doing here? And he's dying can't you see that and then she went back to sleep and I was just stood there um with this cat that then died in my arms and went you know stiff and um and just covered in in urine and I can't remember I can't again remember anything much after that that was just like a really significant thing um and then that was so then that was this whole period of time that there was a real transition which then my mother started dating uh she started leaving me alone in the house um, for really long periods of time, or she would go and take me to Ikea and she would drop me off at the ball pool, um, check me in at the ball pool and pretend she was going to go off in Ikea, but she didn't, she would leave and she would go off on a date or, uh, wherever she would go. So I would have like a day in the Ikea ball pool, um, and again, this was just my existence. This was my life. I can't remember much in school. I remember being bullied a lot when I was little. I remember just, um, you know, not being able to, of course, talk to anyone about things that were going on, um, living just this quiet life. I, uh, you know, I remember in junior school, it was, you know, I didn't really come up, have the opportunity to express myself in any way. It was only when I, uh, we then moved, she, she wanted to, she was fixated on moving to Cornwall, so packed up and left. Um, and at that time, things were really bad. I mean, I was left on my own for so long. I would call at the time Childline was uh, had come out and I was the child who was calling Childline. Um, and they were great just having someone to talk to and to share with what was happening. Um, uh, but it was the 80s, you know, and again, a lot of things, you know, seen and not heard and things that would happen behind closed doors don't get talked about, you know, a very different world to the world we live in today. Anyhow, we moved to Cornwall and from there I was, you know, a bit older. There's now by that point, I was probably, um, yeah, 11, 12. There was a period of time rewinding. I was sent to boarding school at the time my parents then split up. Again, very on my own, like, yeah, again, very young, seven, eight, nine, something like that. I can't remember. Um, but um then when the two of us went to to Cornwall and um started a new life and it was there that things just started cranking up in a whole different level and at least I was at an age where I could then start to you know go to school make some new friends um kind of come out of myself a little bit more I guess and I could be me around those people and finding out who I was and you know yeah, laughing and doing things I wouldn't couldn't you know didn't get to ever do at home um, so yeah, I kind of almost felt like I was starting to live two different lives. Um, 
So my mother was a staunch Catholic. She used to make me go to church every Sunday. There was a church right across the road from where we lived. And then she used to, part of a new thing that would happen was, you know, between beatings and if she felt that I needed to be repentant, uh, she would take me across and tell me that I had to go into confession. And it could be for like something that got broken or something, you know, like really insignificant. Um, and, you know, I used to go in and say, uh, I, please, you know, this is my confession. Please, can I have forgiveness? Uh, I broke a cup. And you could literally hear the priest being like, uh, one, one Our Father or one Hail Mary, that's it. You know, and I'd come out and she'd be like, what did he give you? And, and it wasn't good enough. So she'd be like, no, that's not good enough. So you need to do 10 Hail Marys, take the rosary um, and make me go on my knees and have to do out loud my Hail Mary full of grace. Oh my gosh, I can literally, every part of that whole ma like chant is somewhere ingrained in my brain. Um, and then she would like belt me over the head and louder. And yeah, it was pretty, pretty screwed up. Um, so that was just one part of all of that. So at the time, my mother was going to a lot of kind of single clubs and things. And she realized that she could um, be out later if she gave me a key. Um, so then that way I could. Um, and she started to kind of free up kind of. Uh, the control on me by, you know, saying, okay, well, you can walk home from school today because she was going to be out and she didn't want to have to infringe on her day coming back to um, have to take me home from school. So I had this element of freedom that I'd never had before. And um, and then the key, so I could literally just be able to get in through the door when I came home. And that was um, the beginning of a whole new area of uh, manipulation because um, whenever it would take her fancy, she would, you know, um, obviously the beatings were ongoing, um, but at the slightest, you know, most flippant of things that she would just decide that I don't get to have the key anymore and, um, and yeah, I'll, I'll just have to wait for her or, you know, or yeah, just just things like that. So sometimes if the key was ta taken off of me at a moment's notice and I'd come home from school and she wouldn't be in um, and I'd just be left sat on the doorstep until she would come home. And sometimes, you know, I'd come home at like four in the afternoon and she'd not come home to like 10, 11 at night. So there were elements of, you know, this is now early 90s. So there were elements of sympathy from neighbours. But again, couldn't get involved, couldn't do anything. It was kind of like this real sad face, you know, looking at me with pity. Because like my next door neighbour, they would hear the screams. They would hear me screaming when my mother would be belting me and um, me kind of, you know, trying to get away. And, and you know, they knew and they had, you know, I remember the woman next door to me, they, she, she had a there was one girl in the other year, a year above or something, and then an older sister. And again, I used to get those looks of pity at school. So people knew. Um, and I remember my friends, uh, some of my friends at school knew. Obviously, they saw my body, um, you know, a few times getting changed. And um, so they, yeah, they knew. And I remember my one friend, her mum was a nurse at the school. And she was like, please tell my mum, please tell my mum. So I did. It's the first time I told um, what was happening. Um, and the next thing I know, social social services were called. Um, and back then, so we're talking, what, 1992, 93, something like that, I guess. So I was like 11, 12, 13, that sort of age. Um, 
I remember coming home one day from school and there was a man with a mustache and glasses and a briefcase and a suit in our front room um, and walked in and she's like, this man is here from social services and I'm telling him what a liar you are and how you're a manipulator and da, 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 da. And I was just stood there frozen in the entrance like, and this man looked at me and said, oh, I'm having a lovely cup of tea with your mum and um, she's, uh, she's a lovely woman and she's telling me all about you and what a troublesome child you are and, and uh, how often you lie and... Um, and that was it. He went about his way. He wished my mother very well and off he went. And obviously I got the beating of my life um, from that and obviously never, never shared or told again. Um, again, it was the early 90s. Social, uh, yeah, social services sent a man to come and assess the situation and deemed everything. My mother was absolutely lovely. She turned on the charm and... Um, that was that. So then things had started really cranking up in a different way. You know, they had started having different men come to our house. Um, she was, you know, dating one man one minute and someone else another that she'd pick up and meet from these singles clubs. So used to be able, like, exposed to a lot of noises coming from the bedroom next door and lying in my bed scared, you know, because just these different men in the house who probably didn't even know I was there. Um, and so I used to just, yeah, didn't sleep very much at all. And again, then, you know, when it took her fancy, she'd like, throw the key at me on her way out the door and I'd have the key back again or keys, you know, um, for the front, front doors. Um, so basically, once again, I had to get clever I had to to start thinking differently and yeah I was like 12 or 13 or whatever it was at the time um and I remember I just started uh, to earn some money I didn't have um I was never given any money I had to go and earn it if I wanted any money so I found a job at um a local shellfish bar to work on a Saturday and then that developed into summer holidays um more often than not, she expected me then to kind of just take a small amount and give her some, the money otherwise. Um, and I could use it to buy things like sanitary care and things. And I mean, that's a whole different story in itself. And it came to like uh, coming on my period for the first time and having no help with that, you know, thrown a giant banana kind of huge sanitary towel and told to just put that on and that's it and get on with it. Uh, this will happen. You know, you're a woman now. Um Anyway, that so then basically uh, I'd started earning a bit of money. I'd have to give money to her, but I would keep a, um, enough aside for me. And one of the things I then saved for when I had the keys was to get them cut. Um, like, wow, how astute I was that I had to think like that. Um, so I had my these keys cut and I hid them in, I wrapped them in tissue and I hid them in a cassette case. This is back when you had Woolworths. And I remember at Woolworths being able to buy, I had a cassette, um, uh, a radio cassette player. And I remember having only a couple. I remember it was, I think it was the Rembrandt's Friends and I think it was Wonderwall by Oasis. Uh, and that was pretty much the extent of my cassette collection. So I think it was the Wonderwall. I took out the the, the, um, the tape and I put, put it in the machine and I put the tissue uh, wrapped keys inside there. And that was my escape strategy that was my emergency keys if I ever needed them they were there and I guess that gave me some sort of comfort knowing that they were there 
and in the back of my mind knowing that at some point I was going to need to get myself out of this situation but I just didn't know how or when that would be so um there's a lot of other stuff that started to happen as well um and it just started to crank up and become quite sinister really um just the extent of the abuse took on a very different turn and um that's all I can pretty much say about that here um but then uh, working in the shellfish bar, the lady was really kind and really looked after me. She had a son, a small, like, three-year-old. And so she recognized how things were with my mother, and I opened up to her a bit more. So she used to kind of say, well, can Justine come over for dinner with us? Can, you know, um, she come and help babysit? And half the time it wasn't. I wasn't babysitting. You know, she would just give me extra money to show my mother that I'd earned something. But half the time it was she let me into her family, and she showed me love which I never had before um and she fed me real food and I think that was the one uh she was the first woman to inspire me with food with cooking like I remember she made like a moussaka and I'd never seen anything like it or tasted anything like it I mean it was real food and like a roast and I you know I hadn't ever I, I never had anything like that and it was amazing and it made me feel happy and it was like a you know giant hug around me and I felt safe and it was just a good thing you know and up until then I'd only ever had the association with food and it was a bad one and and of course the kind of um direction and development of everything else that came with that so that was um uh, she was great and from that kind of she allowed like you know I wasn't allowed to speak to my father I wasn't allowed to have anything to do with him when we moved um but she let me use her phone to call him and to make contact and um and from there ended up being that he would drive down uh, secretly um at the time with his new new kind of wife to be and um uh, and get to see him uh basically so she would cover for me in order to make something up that I'm working or she needs me to babysit or whatever it would be and my mother at that point she didn't care because she was busy with whatever man it was and going off and doing stuff so she almost kind of just was happy to palm me off I guess really looking back at it um, which was good because it worked well, obviously, in my favor. And that was, you know, a good time. Um, got to see my father in these very small doses and um, he would come down, see me and then go back. Um, and, and I remember he used to come like with some sort of presents and things that I have to like lie and make up a reason of who gave them to me or that they were secondhand and given to me by someone or whatever. Um, other times I couldn't do anything about it and I would just have to give them away because I couldn't take things home. Um, anyway, things started to really crank up when my mother met one man in particular and moved him pretty much immediately into our house. And this guy was this big guy and he smoked cigars and he was an antique gun collector. And uh, he lived with his mother, who was an antique collector herself. And it was just a very strange setup. And he was very strange. And basically, um, it culminated in just things getting a whole lot worse. Um, and uh, yeah, so um, one one time it got really bad, uh, being that he decided to venture into my room, um, you know, and um, it was the time that I decided that it was time to get the hell out and I needed to leave. 
So that next morning, that, that night, I had an action plan. I must have been 13, 14, I guess. Um, and that was that I was going to get to school. I was going to go to a payphone, phone my father, tell him he needed to come and pick me up that night. Um, and I, I needed to leave. I said goodbye to all my friends, told them that I was leaving. And that day got back, I'd written a letter for my mother to tell her that I'm leaving. I'm going to go and live with my father and that he's going to come and come and uh, get me this evening. And um, and with that, she told me to read it out to her. And I stood and read it out to her. And I remember she grabbed, I think it must have been my hairbrush or something. But anyway, she knocked me with like a hard belt with whatever it was like. Uh, and I remember just fall, collapsing and blacking out. And obviously woke to my bedroom door was locked. Uh, I heard her screaming and um, and then coming back up the stairs, unlocking the door, uh, you know, saying you're not going anywhere and, um, you know, sc screaming and, and being hysterical, I guess. Um, anyway, her boyfriend came upstairs and he went into their bedroom and then he came out with this giant, gun like an old-fashioned shotgun I guess with like massive cartridges and started loading it and then he just literally held it to me uh to my head and um I, and he was just like you know uh, if your father comes to this house I'll kill him and I'll kill you and obviously it's like the last thing you ever expect is to see a gun let alone to have one hold against your head so um, and my mother, her eyes were wild. She was like cackling and laughing and literally like almost like, like jeering him on, like, you know. Um, anyway, she slammed the door shut and like she was reveling in it. She slammed the door shut and then they heard them and locked it, locked it and went downstairs. Um, so now that's the thing with the keys I had because she used to often lock me in my room. This was a thing. Um, so when I had the keys cut, I had included the door key for my room. So it's like the door key, the main key, and then like the, do the double locks sort of bottom bolt key, as it were. Um, so there I was, my heart was pounding because I knew at any point my, my father was rocking up and this guy's got a gun. So I remember climbing up on top of the desk by my, in the window of my room and there were netted curtains and I pulled them across and I was just like watching, watching out, watching out the window and just terrified for the moment to come that, that he was going to just uh, pull up. Um, you know, he'd never been there before and I just, I, I, you know, this is long before obviously mobile phones or anything existed like that. So there was just no way of doing anything um, other than just the fear of being kind of holding me there. And then I heard her coming up the stairs again, saying I'm going to check on her again. I had to quickly, like, quickly push the, the netted curtain back in place so it wasn't didn't move and quickly jump on the bed and just sit there. And she'd walk in and, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, nothing, just sat here. Um, and then she'd go back down, lock the door again, of course. Um, and then again, back at the window until he rocked up. And I remember he walked along. He was, he'd obviously parked on the main road and walked along. And he looked up at me and then he pointed to the house. Like, is this, like, is this it? This is the right one. And I just stood screaming, go, 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 go away, go. And he kind of looked confused and I just kept pushing my hands, go. And I heard my mother saying, running upstairs. So I quickly sat back down on the bed and, 
And uh, she's like, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? And I was like, no, no, no one. It was, you know, the lady across the street's mum walking the dog. She's like, you keep away from the window. You don't go anywhere near the window. So I was like, okay, okay. And I sat there and she went downstairs again and my heart was beating out of my chest. And that was, that was it. That was the moment of it's now or never. So I grabbed the cassette. I opened it up. I unwrapped the tissue. I held those keys in my hand so tight they were cutting into my hand. I carefully took the first key out and pushed it through the door and turned the key um, to, you know, she wouldn't leave the key on the other side. She always had the keys always around, like on herself. Um, it's where she would keep them. Um, so you always hear her as well, like the jangling of the her keys as she would be running up the stairs and things. So that's always a good alert. Um, but yeah, she, um, anyway, I pushed the key in, turned the key carefully and quietly with my heart just thump, thump, thump. And I remember we had like shaggy park, like thick carpet, very 1980s, everything. Um, and I remember just bending the handle so quietly, I could hear every single bit of noise of that handle moving and, and the, the sound it was making. And I kind of bent it down and opened the door so slowly and the noise of the shh as the bottom of the door was kind of pushing across the carpet and carefully stepped out and super quietly started going down the stairs and having to be as close to the wall I can literally see it like it's just literally in my mind's eye now keeping my body along the wall so that I didn't creak even though it was carpeted not to I knew that if you stepped in the middle of the steps it could creak the floorboard part and underneath it so um and I guess I'd had it all in my head I'd how you know when the day came how and what I would need to do and this was one of them making sure I'd go down those stairs really quietly and I got to the uh, the hallway and now just on the left of the hallway was the entrance to the, the door to the lounge where she was with her boyfriend. And straight ahead of me was a glass door, uh, more shaggy carpet, and then the main front door, which is where I'd need all the key, the, the remaining two keys in my hand, and then the dining room to the right. So I went through and I, again, just the, the next door was just purely a glass door for the entrance. So I had to do the same thing with the handle and pulling it down quietly and lifting it uh, back towards me as it was um, again doing that noise with the carpet which I guess was just so much more accelerated in my own hearing because my heart was going thump 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 and then I got to the main door and I got as far as putting the key in the bottom I held my breath closing it and tur like turning it over to clunk to unlock the bolt of the door and then there's the chain and then holding my breath while my heart was beating so hard and lifting it. And I like this, you know, it sounds like it was really slow, but it wasn't. It was this is all done within the space of a few minutes of me coming down and having to work quickly and quietly and efficiently and holding my breath. And I re remember then just lifting up the chain and having to hold it in my hand, carefully let it hang and not move. Um, and then there was one last key to be able to go in and then I could turn the turn the kind of yell bit and that would be it and I heard her I heard her keys jangle and I heard her say get up and say I'm going to go check on her again and I just remember I just put my whole back against the wall and held my breath and she came out 
Now, if she had turned left at that, if she had looked left at that point, she would have seen me there with my back against the wall. She would have seen me, but she didn't, of course, because she had no reason to think I would be that way. She came out, she went right and straight up the stairs going, and I knew I had literally no time at all. I let her get halfway up those stairs and I just went for it. I literally put the other key in, turned the key, turned the bolt and ran. And I remember just going, run, 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 run. And I ran, I ran to the left of where my father had come. I ran to that and I heard her scream for her boyfriend going, she's getting away. And I ran and I ran and I got to the main road and I looked across the road and I saw my father's car there and I saw him get out and I saw his his fiance was there in the window in the passenger seat and I carefully ran across the road and he had gotten out and I said, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, just go, go, go. And I remember him having his bravado and saying, what, what do you mean? And his, you know, partner said, you know, she said he's got a gun, get in the car and drive. So, um... That was me in the car with only the clothes I was wearing and 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 off we drove. And that was that was it. That was my escape from my mother, uh, who I've, you know, not had anything to do or seen for gosh, you know, it's since then. So, you know, I'm 40 now, and that was what I was 14 or something by that point. So you do the math. Um uh, I remember we stopped at a friend's, uh, one of my best friends, and she gave me clothes to wear. She gave me like a teddy bear. Um, uh, we did the trip to drive to London. And halfway through that trip, we pulled over at a service station, and my father said, "You need to call your mother and and say that you're safe and that you've you know made your decision to come and live with me." So I did that and she answered the phone. She was like, what, what do you mean? You get back here now. And so I just said, I repeated the words, you know, I'm gone to live with my father and I'm safe and that's all you need to know. And, um, you know, I've left and I put the phone down. Anyway, we got back to London at the early hours of the morning and there was an answer phone message on um the, their home answer phone. So of course that, you know, my mother had obviously then contacted the shellfish bar lady who probably, you know, who spun a completely different story, uh, which we all know about now, uh, and therefore had given up, you know, that information, that phone number to her that she had for, you know, my father's house. Anyway, um, it was an answer phone message from the police station, the local police station about the abduction uh, of your daughter, Justine. Um, and yeah, sure enough, uh, my mother had, had reported it as an abduction and that my father had abducted me. Um, and of course, the police launched a full investigation. They went to my school and my school friends said, you know, this is the realities of things and um, that she said goodbye to everyone. And so, of course, they dropped the case. And that was that. And that was the beginning of a whole new uh life of hell ahead in a whole different way um so I moved in with my father and his wife or soon-to-be wife they married not long after um and you know it was her house and he'd moved in with her um it was her house and she always made it very clear it was her house and I was there um you know on borrowed time and while I'd be you know I wasn't part of the package 
at all. Um, and, you know, she would then, you know, while I was be there, I'd have to do things. So I had to clean and I had to iron all her clothes. I have to, it's literally like I went from one, one type of hell to another. Uh, there was me thinking this was going to be, you know, this, this new life and new quality of life. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't in, in any of the ways. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty uh, awful time because it was then when I kind of started a new sc a school that I'd gone to, uh, you know, uh, a long time before and then kind of come back to and seen a few friends from and um, it's the same kind of school before we went to Cornwall, so to come back to it and, um, yeah, I remember kind of trying to, feeling like an outsider really, I guess, and um, it was really hard because then obviously things behind closed doors weren't good and I'd gone through all the stuff I'd gone through and how do you kind of share that you know um other than knowing things you know you, how can I share anything that I've gone through and the trauma that I've just gone through with anyone and I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be normal so of course um yeah and then obviously behind closed doors things were hard as well so trying to navigate school and friends and some sort of normal life but you know it wasn't and then um yeah my 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 basically long very long story short but my my father's wife um would then kind of threaten that it was kind of me or her sort of thing so ultimately my father chose her because you know it was the roof over his head and his new wife and you know not his daughter he's not had in his life for a long time rock up and didn't want me to infringe on that or affect it or jeopardize it in any way so he basically um you know a few times she kicked me out I used to come home and find all my stuff outside in a in a bin bag and you know he usually would talk her down and you know this happened once over Christmas day even uh, I had to go on Christmas day and go and knock on a friend's door to see if they'd let me in and be with their family on Christmas day um and then there was a day that I'd at work Saturday job uh, that I got and came back and it's just in the run-up towards my GCSEs by this point um and I got not I got hit by a car directly outside my actual house um I mean amazingly I was okay uh, but I ended up in hospital and I remember um they came to the hospital to check on me and um she's not some comment about that you know thought I'd you know be dead or something and then they left they left me there I had to get uh call a friend's mum to come and pick me up and take me and drop me home and of course when I got home um my uh yeah all my stuff was in bin bags again and it was like well that's it you know I'm gonna take you I found you a room rental in Rainer's Lane which was like this dumpy part of London where a big roundabout of traffic is and it was this small um it was a room in his household with this Indian family who were super nice uh however they used to go in my room every day and unplug my hairdryer unplug stuff look at my stuff root through my stuff so I was on my own um you know 15 16 at that point and um needless to say yeah I didn't do so well so my leg was in plaster as well and I remember doing my GCSEs in a wheelchair with my leg in plaster so I'd obviously affected my leg or my my something had knocked or hit or or whatever it was at the time without really kind of taking myself back there to think about it better but just kind of trying to remember those 
crazy months um, around surrounding all of that. So I was on my own and then living on my own. And then needless to say, I didn't do so well with my GCSEs or anything like that. Um, and then I had to, I was meant to be joining a college and because of everything going on and that I was on my own and having to like live on my own and, and, and earn money now and find a way to do that. I then uh, I dropped out of the college I worked so hard to get into, even though my GCSE results weren't great. They were like sympathetic to my situation and uh, let me in anyway. But then I had to leave because I had to go and get full time employment because I needed money. So um, I took a job in a restaurant that I ended up staying a few, for a few years and it became like family to me and it like hugely became like family and I became, you know, um, me, I guess. I had an opportunity to suddenly come out of, I had people around me who were good and nice and liked me and wanted to get to know me and, um, and yeah, that was my safe place for a while. Um, and basically... I kind of had like some sort of normality for a little while. Um, and again, obviously there's tons of stuff in between all of this. I'm trying to jump through these different chapters of my life. Um, but basically I then um, fell in with the wrong group of people or people who took advantage that I was on my own. Um, and I ended up leaving this restaurant for a while and getting kind of, um, yeah, uh, I was in a place I was very vulnerable, very naive, and uh, again, or like always, you know, looking to trust people from a place of thinking that they, you know, cared about me or loved me, you know, and same with um, any boyfriends or anything, you know, just desperate, I guess, looking back for love, looking for the things I didn't, you know, now I've been rejected by my father and um, in, in, you know, after such a horrible time anyhow, and then to go through, you know, a different situation. It was really hard. Um, and Anyhow, I ended up in a really bad place at the hands of some really bad people, um, really bad. And it took me a really long time to get out of that place because I couldn't, I couldn't escape it. And um, these people had a hold on me and, and my life at the time. And I really got to experience and see just how dark some of the darkest things in this world are. Um, so... I came, um, I had the opportunity to, uh, an opportunity to escape all of that at a time. And when I did, um, it was a chance to try and then kind of reforge a new life again, I guess. And then I found, you know, uh, almost reinvent myself. I had new flatmates. I went back to the restaurant company and for a while, everything was good. For a while, I kind of lived as normal a life. Uh, I was enjoying, you know, partying and friends and, you know, uh, just things I just didn't really ever have properly before and then had a boyfriend and settled down. And that was all good and that was all great for a period of time until in the restaurant company, this place that I knew and that I uh, felt safe with and safe with the people with, um, an incident happened um, by way of, of being raped um, by this individual in the, in the um, company someone who I trusted and knew his his wife to be even and um to me it's taken me a, to even say that word it's taken me some time to 
say it you know to again it was something that only could come out when I first shared my story on that very first time back a few years ago to all those women because it was something I'd never talked about I felt you know um great shame I guess you know um I couldn't tell my my boyfriend at the time uh, it happened like in our loft in our house and um been yeah just I, I'd been drinking and I'd passed out and then I woke up to him on top of me and um just literally kind of just using my body like a piece of meat and I just remember being so disorientated and saying you know no no and and he only finished when he was done and then he climbed down the loft stairs and it was he was gone and um it's ta- it, you know it took me I never spoke about it I never spoke about it I remember just showering and and just letting it just just putting it into that box and locking it and locking it and only unlocking it that day I was asked to share my story and it came out you know it came to the very top of um what needed to come out I guess and by then sharing that it was kind of recognizing it it was starting to kind of work towards being to healing uh from it and recognizing that like what he did you know and how wrong it was and um and you know how I didn't get any help I just kind of had to to just carry on and pretend it didn't happen but um anyway it really tainted my it tainted everything for me um that this restaurant company was in my life it's like this place that was something so good and um family and that it it was gone it just kind of ruined that for me and so I left I left the company um gave my notice and left and just like that you know quite suddenly really and um and then that was then 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 I was in this relationship and it was no longer the same as it was when you know I was working in the same company and and then there was lots of trust elements involved and I just, I, I wasn't happy. And I remember lying at night, you know, we had at this point, you know, a, an apart, you know, our own little apartment or house, or whatever it was. And we had cat, two cats and whole white picket fence, you know, but I wasn't happy. Um, you know, I, I hadn't seen the world, you know, he'd done all his traveling and I just had no kind of sense of purpose you know of who I was and who I am and and I was again I was just miserable and I was just like this isn't my life this isn't the life I want and I would like watch him sleeping and just be like you know love this guy but like brother you know I'm not in love with him this isn't the guy I want to have children with I didn't have those feelings I was just unhappy really miserable so I um found the courage to leave him and um uh went I remember going to Mexico just to go and just have some time away and and go and enjoy some sun and water and I had no money and I couldn't do much at all in Mexico because I had like nothing uh but just that time away helped me to reflect and and it really helped me to decide what to do now and it was this moment this really pivotal moment of you know you can keep living your life like this or you can um you can go and find your happiness. You can go and find the life that you deserve to live. Um, you can go and start again and just change, change everything. And when I came back, that's that's what I did. Um, I remember at the time, I remember, and there were two options in my head. One was going to be... Um, 
to go to Thailand and be a beach bum in Thailand and go and just see the beauty of Thailand and enjoy it and enjoy all of the things it would offer. Um, or the other was to go and join the yachting industry and go and uh, cook on yachts. So cooking over the years that I'd had this relationship and had some sense of normality, I'd really started to fall in love with food. I remember going to in London to Borough Market for the first time and just being like all my senses kind of lighting up and, you know, the smell of the chorizo and all the different fruit and veg and colours and just the whole experience. And it just, it excited me and it still instilled this happiness inside me that I'd never known before. And over the years that followed, I loved cooking. I enjoyed cooking so much. I enjoyed cooking for people and doing big roasts or doing curries. And and I guess no one really showed me how to cook chicken. I just knew the chicken was cooked. I would put it in the oven and to do all the things. And I guess very much self-taught through cookbooks. Um, again, this wasn't a time of YouTube videos or anything. So it was all pretty much self-taught through books I was reading and cooking and doing. And... Um, but along the way, my my boyfriend at the time, I mean, he was from Australia and um, we used to go back there and he had a very good friend of his who worked on yachts. And this one time that we went back to Australia to spend time with his family, his friend was there and his girlfriend was the chef on the yacht he worked on. And I remember her and I making this big lunch spread together and I just kept picking her brain saying like, so you get get paid really like you're on a yacht and how does it work and who do you cook for and all these questions you get to travel around the world and and you go to all these markets and seeing all I mean it was just like wow wow what an amazing like life what a what a wow you know and and it, and it really um evoked this this like just this this light this this excitement this this just like ignited this spark, I guess, in me. And like, wow, that's just amazing. So of course, when I, when, when I left my, my boyfriend um, and had the kind of what am I going to do thing, I remember it was a good friend of mine. She said, you know, look, if you go and do the whole beach bomb Thailand thing, you're going to be back where you are in a year's time with no money and no, like, what are you then going to do? You're going to have spent what money you have and then enjoy Thailand and then what you know then what do you you know whereas the other way you know is it's got direction and you know you were really excited about it when you came back from Australia and you shared all about this girl and what she was doing you were so excited you know never seen you so happy and excited about something maybe now that's the time so it was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to look into it all. So I did. And I looked into it. I had to do courses. So I had to go and get a couple of jobs just to try and hold some money down uh, to pay each one of these courses to go and to do the safety side. Then I also wanted to do a cooking course. So I wanted to go and cook on the yachts, but I wanted to go and do a cooking course because I didn't know how to fillet a fish or supreme a chicken breast. And so I needed to go and do all these things. Um, uh, so I did a course down at the Isle of Wight. And then I did a, uh, a, the, the training course to be on the yachts, the STCW. And then from there, I even did like a day skipper to see that I could actually even be on a boat. And so I did my... My um, day skipper uh, on this tiny little small sailboat and I remember being like wet weather gear in the middle of the Isle of Wight in the freezing cold and at the UKSA doing my uh, day skipper and being like oh my goodness what am I doing and I had like a compass in my hand doing night navigation and I was just like is this really what I want to do? Anyhow, uh, determined as ever, I packed up my life 
And I put it in my father's uh, by then. My, well, I mean, we're fast forwarding quite a few years here. My father's then wife had actually died of cancer. Uh, he then moved to uh, another part of the UK. I went and dropped a whole load of stuff to his house. I had then made a whole load of plated dishes, taken photos, put a portfolio together. And in what was now 2006, September 2006, I flew out to Palma de Mallorca with a one-way ticket, with no plan B, and with only like 200 pounds to my name, um, determined that I was going to go and be a chef on yachts and I was going to change my life. And I was going to go and find my happiness and I was going to step out of unzip that life and everything that I had in my background and my past and just put it all in those boxes in my head and lock them and just step out of that and go and find out who I was and go and explore and enjoy and that's what I did and I went off to start my career in on yachts and um uh, had yeah got my first yacht job and that's a whole different story and I could talk for hours about that and this is already going to be a really long podcast episode so I'm not going to go down that whole thing of how it all started with everything else and my first job and yada 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 but basically I was given my first chance finished the season from there I got a second chance so I went from Palma to Monaco and that was the beginning of my yachting career um, and over the years I kept doing kind of small courses to be able to keep on building up my um uh, learning new skills um, and I really I got to see some amazing countries amazing places um, but also I started to party quite hard and it's quite known on yachts you know you're on a boat for a really long time when you finally get off you get to you know all your wages you go and spend all your wages and catch up with all your yachty friends and go and have your rounds of Jägermeister and you know you, you used to party really hard and it was kind of again for me I guess it was catching up on a whole load of life that I'd missed you know because by this point I was like 26 so I'd missed loads of stages in my life of those kind of times where you know I guess when you're like rebelling at age 14 or 16 or I, I was so busy going through all these other things I didn't get any semblance of those kind of times um that I should have gone through as a teenager I guess um uh, or a young adult so I kind of made up for lost time I guess and um, over this kind of whole period there was one woman who was in my life who was the strongest and most incredible woman which was my granny my father's mother and my mother never let me see her or have anything to do with her she was a Christian as was my grandpa and she used to always pray for me and pray for my safety and you know and the Lord looked after me all of you know, despite the things that I had gone through and um, over those years. But after finally uh, being able to uh, escape from all of those things, and when I was kind of then with the restaurant and having some sort of sense of normality in my life, I got to have a relationship with her at last. And I got to really enjoy her. And she was she she was my friend she was my best friend and I used to just talk to her normally and have like normal conversations with her you know she wasn't just you know hi granny and you know I could just talk about all sorts of things and she would um I remember she said to me she's you know you've uh, you know I've never met anyone quite like you Justine and I, I remember saying I'll take that as a compliment and she said you should and it kind of blew my mind and I found it such a, a such an honour, you know, this is a woman who was very worldly and met lots of people and lived a, a full life. So to say that um, 
So I really cherished the times that we had together. And one of the things I was always terrified about when we're going off to work on yachts was that, you know, she was getting older. She'd had some heart issues. I was terrified that something would happen to her. And I remember one of my last kind of trips back I'd, um, when I joined yachting and I used to always go back and see her. And she, I think she was convinced I worked on a pirate ship. You know, she used to ask if there's rats. And <laughs> I thought, no, there's no rats. And uh, yeah, it's, it's all very nice and very lovely. Um, but yeah, she, um, she always said to me, you know, one day I'll find a, a man like my grandpa, like her husband, someone who's a gentleman, who's kind, who's who will look after me properly and you know and of course at that point there I had no idea that that sort of man existed other than my grandpa I do you know uh, I guess because of the way my father had been over the years and I'd you know had this kind of um, I'd always gone after men who treated me badly and been drawn to men who treated me badly and disrespectfully and uh, again just seeking love and care and attention not actually ever getting it so um, yeah it was it was uh, it was a really poignant time because after a couple of years in yachting, I then had this. Um, I, I was a guy I was seeing in Palma. I went all the way to the Caribbean and was following him. Took a delivery out there to kind of because I knew he was going to be out there. But uh, and the plan was to stay in the Caribbean that particular winter. But um, he then decided to go back to Palmer. So I, like a puppy dog, followed him back to Palmer. But everything happens for a reason. And literally within a few days of my being back, I remember I had two job interviews. So the timing was amazing for boats, you know, permanent roles, amazing roles, two awesome sailboats. And uh, had those interviews. And um, I then uh, got a call saying I, from my father that I needed to get back like fast because my granny was in hospital and it wasn't looking good. So had I been in the Caribbean on a different time, you know, a different time uh, zone and um, uh, or working or on a charter, you know, I wouldn't have been in the position I was, which was literally a two hour plane ride back and then got to the hospital that day, got to see her. And then by that night she was gone. So to get to say goodbye was everything but I was so distressed and so upset to have lost my granny and I then ended up getting both I got back to Palmer and I had both job offers uh, but one I was really drawn to more than the other lovely captain real family guy and that really kind of obviously appealed so much more and uh, so I joined this boat and basically the whole crew of the, including the captain had been, you know, let go and there was a new crew coming on and, and uh, bar one guy. And basically the deck hand, um, he was like deck office, deck first mate sort of thing. He was employed by the previous captain and he was left, you know, to look after the boat and make sure everything was washed down and clean and looked after and to live on the boat, you know, while no one was on it. And uh, the captain said he, you know, been rocking up and watching him from afar. And yeah, I think I'm going to keep him. This guy seems really good. Well, little did I know that that was going to be the man that I was going to marry. And it really felt like my granny died and went to heaven and her and God sat there and hand selected a man who was just like my grandfather. Um, suddenly there was this man who, yeah, just amazing. I didn't see it at first. And at the time I was still seeing this other guy and he was seeing someone else. And, but you know, we naturally, those things fizzled out and, um, 
yeah, well, we, we got together, but I really kind of didn't see it at first. You know, I'd never had anyone who was nice to me in that way or, you know, who, who was so respectful and mindful and he wanted to take me on a date and we had a date in Genoa in Italy and that date lasted for hours and hours and we talked and talked and drank wine and ate. And I knew and I said it that evening, I was like, you're, you know, you're literally, it's just like my grandfather. I said, you're, you, I told him the story about what my granny said and I said, I, you know, I'm... I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. Um, and that was it. That was that was the beginning of us back in 2000 and, uh, gosh, 2008. Um, and yeah, we got, uh, I went off to Thailand that year to go and study and train in Thailand. I'd already had it booked and I had to do it. I had to do it for me. Um, but that was the beginning of us. And that was the beginning of him, of me being grounded. I finally had, I didn't need to be parting hard anymore. I didn't, he, he really pulled my feet down to the earth and grounded me. I'd never had some uh, stability in my life. That's what he gave me in all the ways. And um, yeah, to, to kind of, he gave me, yeah, a lot of love, a lot of kind of rewinding kind of between all of this. There was, uh, I had diagnosis for epilepsy and there was a whole load of other stuff um, in between. But um, again, he was there for me and saw me through that whole period of time. And um, of which I'm seizure free, by the way, I've been off the medication for a very long time. And again, very much kind of healed myself from epilepsy through good food and good diet and uh, a different quality of life. I guess I'll touch on that at a later date as well. Uh, but yeah, that was it. So and then um, we kind of I, I suddenly had this man in my life who was good and it was good quality and it was amazing. And then um I wanted to protect that. So we got engaged. The engagement was pretty epic, the engagement story, um, which I can't, uh, we, we can have time to share it today. I'll share it another day. But it was a pretty epic story that you couldn't make it up. And it was just just, just perfect and amazing. Um, but basically, the second we got engaged, we didn't start having loads of issues with people, people who were really quite toxic and then causing trouble and drama um, in our life and, and affecting us, you know, um, and where that started triggering, it started, it, it triggered in me uh, an eating disorder um, that came from nowhere. Um, it literally, I guess it was a place of hurt because there were people around us causing so much hurt. And out of nowhere, it just triggered me to um, start being sick and uh, making myself sick. And uh, I guess it was some sort of control that I felt over what was a, a situation I couldn't control at the time. And I was really hurt. And it was just a really strange place to be and horrible place to be. And I didn't want to be in that position and um, uh, had to basically, we, we you know, basically together decided to kind of get rid of the people in our lives that were causing us heartache and pain. And uh, we went and got married. We had a very small intimate wedding. However, I stupidly allowed my father to be there. Uh, and it was literally on the day I got married, I... I realized and he caused a lot of upset and a lot of tears on my wedding day a lot of hurt and realized how much he was a taker and not a giver and he'd just always been taking 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 but he wasn't you know interested in being my father he wasn't a father to me and uh, never had been um and if anything I was an inconvenience to him inconvenience to his now new wife to be and you know his pattern of things that you know looking at his patterns of things that he had been doing and what happened and um along the way again this is a whole another section and story 
to share, but um, it just made me see him through new eyes. It was literally like the day I married my husband, I, the mud, I wiped the mud out my eyes and I could suddenly see clearly and I was blind and I could see. And I realized that this man didn't have my best interests at heart and that he had taken advantage many times and that, yeah, I was a hindrance in his life, you know, that I could jeopardize his situation with any new woman he has at any time because I know his history and his past. And there's a real um, element of all of that. And having my husband, having that grounding, that stability, it just made me see it properly for the first time ever. I think I'd seen it over the years, but I'd been in such denial because I was so desperate to have you know, this man in my life, this connection, desperately wanting to be loved. But actually, you know, I was the one always calling. I was the one always doing nice things. I was the one giving. I was the one asking how, you know, after all the years in yachting, never came out to see me in Mallorca. You know, I just never saw those things. And suddenly I saw them all in, 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 yeah, like color, in the brightest technicolor there was. And that was it. That was the beginning of just kind of removing the final toxic person from my life who was causing pain and misery and unhappiness. And I wrote this long letter and we went and cleared out all of my stuff that was in the loft and ended up leaving a letter to say how I felt. And this is this, you know, this is what I think the situation is and where you're at. And um, that was that. Never heard from him again, which just further validated exactly that I was right. And uh and that was that was the that was it really that was the um the significant part of this new chapter in our married life and protecting that and making it sacred and not allowing any wrongings or naysayers or people to hurt it so that really is the kind of um that's the heart of everything that I then started because it was then on the, the vessel that we were working on at the time that I then had this vision for my muy bueno that came to me to create this amazing business based on all the things that I've been doing as a chef working on yachts um, and finding my calling. I, you know, stopped uh, once we got rid of all the negative people. I was happier. I was healthier. I was being mindful with how I was eating, what I was eating and um, just really healing and healing myself through good food and good people. And those, of course, being the very two things that my Muy Bueno is all about, why my core values are the core values they are, why my philosophy is the philosophy it is, and um, what is at the heart of everything that drives me and the reason behind it, you know, it was that determination to, you know, have a quality life now, to have a husband, to build my family, a family I've never had, and to make it good and to protect it, to protect it so fiercely from anyone who dare um, cause pain or upset in any way and to not tolerate that and and just to be like, I'm done with that. I'm done with being hurt. I'm done with being betrayed. And that doesn't mean that things don't happen along the years. And over the years, I've had, you know, my fair share of, you know, people who might stab your, you know, put, stab you in the back or betray you. Uh, but you learn from it and you get stronger and you get wiser. And, um, you know, so of course found my, my happiness and, and things don't, you know, along the ways then, you know, I was pregnant the first time and unfortunately then, um, our baby stopped growing and that was a really hard time and a hard time to deal with. And then of course, when Seth was born, of course, the doctor who, you know, was so negligent in pulling him like he did out of me and then and paralyzed his right arm and giving him herbs palsy, the disability that he has now forever, you know, and, and our life, you know, just taking a complete sideways turn at the time. However, 
ha we didn't have any drama or stress or anything like that to have to contend with at the time. Even when my husband was away on the boats and I was dealing with all those things on my own, I didn't, you know, it was okay because it was just Seth and I and we didn't have outside interruptions or things, you know, I can't even imagine how it would have been if we did. So, you know, stress was normal stress, it was money stress or or whatever day-to-day -day stuff. It wasn't, you know, anything else from other people causing harm and hurt and pain and upset. So that was really significant, kind of protecting my world, protecting my family, standing by my core values of pride, passion, integrity, ambition, love, really having this vision for my muy bueno of where I wanted to take it, why I wanted to make it good, why building the foundations brick by brick and doing it properly or not doing it at all, uh, doing it at all mattered so much, why creating something with so much love and integrity running through it was so important why removing those naysayers was so important and not tolerating them and letting them infiltrate anything that I was doing and, and anything with my life or my family or my, um, my, my business and really building now only looking back at it now after you know getting to a stage of putting it in my book and sharing what I have it was kind of like wow you know I've quite without realizing it kind of come full circle you know and of course coming back to London and literally living uh, stones throw away from the hospital I was born in even I mean I just feel like I've come full circle in my life I left here a very uh, left London very hurt very you know searching for happiness for who I was and I've come back with my business with my family um, with my voice uh, a voice that's taken me a long time to find um and and now I've got it, you know. I'm 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 I'm, I'm never uh, letting that go, you know. And finding my tribe, finding my people, doing things that will help other people, um, shining light on truths because we have to and we need to. Being genuine, encouraging others to be genuine, all things that really make me tick, and I'm very passionate about, and really making my muy bueno into something so special and so unique. And even despite the last year and the I mean, the heartbreak of having to make the decision to let go of my sights, to let go of everything I'd built up over there. and But knowing that it wasn't the worst thing I'd ever been through and knowing that every hurdle and every ounce of adversity in life, you will only ever get through it and get to the other side. And the, the lessons you have to learn, whether you realize them at the time or not, are there to equip you on your journey, uh, personally, professionally, just your journey, your life. It's your, you know, you're living your best, uh, your best life. You're living your authentic life, your truth, speaking your truth, walking in your truth and why that's so very important and that your life and your purpose um, is so very important. So no matter what, if I can go through the things that I've gone through in my life and I can be here and I can still, I've got so much, I had so much love inside of me and it never, that fire never went out. And I guess that's thanks to God for sure. You know, I could have gone down a very different path and by all accounts, so many times I should, I shouldn't be here. I should be dead years ago because some of the situations and circumstances I was put into um, and experienced, I, 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 I shouldn't be alive really and I thank God that I am and I thank God for the purpose of my life and to do with that amazing things and to 
Um, and that by sharing my story, I didn't go through those things in vain and that I have a story to tell and share to empower and to inspire and to encourage others with. Um, and that no matter what you go through, that, you know, you, it makes you stronger. It makes you wiser. I wouldn't be who I am running My Muy Bueno. My Muy Bueno wouldn't exist if I grew up in a household with loving parents who were great and loving and I had everything, you know, for me and money. And I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be on this journey. I wouldn't be who I am. I wouldn't have met my husband. I wouldn't have every single part, even the horrible, bad stuff. And as much as my heart breaks for the young me that had to go through that stuff, it has molded me, it has molded my character, um, and it has made me into the strong woman I stand here talking to you today. And it's, you know, it's provided the drive and the, the, the heart and the ethics for my business, for my company, for my business being what it is, and for everything I do. Um, and so, yeah, that's where, that's where we're at with overcoming adversity. Um, I think wraps it all up pretty well. Um, it's, you know, it's, it, we've gone through so much in these last few, uh, months and this last year and times have been hard, but they could always be harder. And there's a million people out there going through much harder times and, um, you know, just remembering that, you know, you really do go through things to cut, you know, there will, there is another side to them. You will get to the other side and you will learn from that experience and you will be stronger and stronger and better equipped for the next experience. Life isn't meant to be easy. If we had everything la 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 easy on a plate, where's the learning from that? What are we, you know, and I was put on this earth for a reason and I've gone through the stuff I have clearly for a reason. And that's where I really, I believe in these last couple of years as I've become, you know, I mean, to the point of me sharing with you on my podcast, which is big and scary and uh, hugely different to speaking to a room of people, you know, um, of women, you know, in a safe space. But to be at this stage now, to feel stronger to do so, to recognize that my story has power. It has power to help other people and it can and it will. And um, may it be, you know, a testament, you know, really just to show that you can turn your life around from nothing, from minus nothing, to have a vision, to have a goal, to work towards it, to never stop working towards it and to never compromise. And ultimately, of course, why my philosophy is what it is to remove those naysayers from your life, um, you know, crossing your T's and dotting your I's, um, you know, kidding your ducks in a row, doing things properly or not doing them at all. They're all the things I live by, I stand by, I breathe by, I make every decision based around those and my core values and it's a formula that works. Why? Because I've lived it and I know it and I've come to this place and I've got to this place where I've found my happiness. I've created what I have all from this, this passion and heart to do something amazing and one and and to be a mummy and to look after my boys and to give them a life I never had to give them love to have a, a family support and even when things are hard like the last few weeks have been that we're together and that we have each other and we work through it and we've you know and again we're protected we protect ourselves you know and who comes into that and cherish um 
one another and value one another so much and 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 yeah that's that's uh that's me that's me on a plate so whatever you're going through whatever you've gone through in life you have the power to come through it to get through the other side like i said in the beginning i you know i have never had any therapy i have never spoken to anyone i've just really trusted in god along the way and um chased my happiness found my uh my calling in life and found myself healed myself from all of that trauma all of that hurt um and and become the woman I am. So, um, of course, if this episode has affected you in any way, uh, please do go to the, uh, podcast page where there's a, some details for some, a support line to call or contact. Um, and thank you for listening as I shared this very poignant and very hard, but important episode with you today, uh, before we head first into covering some really bold subjects coming up um, that matter, that matter a lot, you know, and that's why, you know, nothing can stop you. You are able to do whatever you want in this world if you put your mind to it and you work hard and you, um, you give it your all and you, you, you value your life so much that you cherish it and you don't allow other people and don't tolerate other people to infringe on that or hurt, you know, they don't get to do that, you know. Um, it's, it's no surprise that the Naysayers episode is so popular because we've all been there and it resonates with everyone. And I really hope that this episode resonates with you in some way, shape or form that then will spur you on to really, again, shake out like you know, like panning for gold, you know, it's the people who I am, I've got in my life now, they're, you know, they're good quality people, they're people I trust in my inner circle, they're people who even in my outer circle, I trust and I care about and, you know, um, and then the same with acquaintances, the same with suppliers, the same with anyone that I ever choose to work with, you know, I just don't work with wrong-uns, you know, like, you should, especially if it's a supplier or something, it's just like, you're making me feel bad and I'm paying you to do a job and and I feel like I do. That's not right and that's no good, you know, and you've got to recognise that and shake it out like panning for, excuse me, for gold. Um, you know, as we get older, it's even more important to make sure that we've got, you know, the good quality people around us because you deserve that. You deserve, it's quality over quantity every time. And um, yeah, uh, to be at this place now after such a hard year and so much change um, and so much, you know, loss and everything else. But knowing that I'm moving forward, that I'm right where I'm meant to be, that I'm um, adapting and pushing forward in new ways, ways I didn't even see coming to expand my muy bueno in, you know, with the captain agency now and the yacht brokerage. And I'm busy working on something else, which is going to be even more amazing that had it not been through for everything that's happened in the last year because of COVID and leaving Mallorca and being here, I would never be at those places. And that's the thing. You've got to go through the stuff that you go through to get to where you're meant to be. And <clears throat> 
you uh you know you've you've got to go through it you've got to experience those things and it might be hard and painful and horrible but you've got to hold on to the fact that there is that light and you will get to the other side and you will be stronger and better for it and that that is going to be everything because you are going to then be in a place that you never would have been had it not been for the adversities you have overcome and that that's a perfect place that we're going to wrap this episode up. So thank you all for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. I'm sure you're all going to have to go and take a big breather and just um, process and digest a lot of it and get some air. And I think I'm going to go and have a walk around the garden right now for some fresh air. And next week, we're going to be flying the flag for women all over the world. Because of course, Monday, it's International Women's Day, which is huge and we are excited to celebrate on my muy bueno chefs which is my culinary community over on instagram where we're going to be featuring 16 amazing women all shaping the industry the culinary industry today and then of course on sunday it's mother's day so i am looking forward to a wonderful day of snuggles and being spoilt and um, enjoying that with my little ones and of course the my muy bueno cookbook is the perfect gift for mother's day so do uh, order a copy over on Amazon for the mummy in your life, uh, whether it's um, your partner or your sister or your own mum, do treat them with a copy of that. I'm sure they'll absolutely love it. So uh, it's a gift that's really uh, brings a lot of enjoyment in all the ways for those of you who already know and have a copy. And that's it. So thank you all for listening and um, wishing you a really great next two weeks ahead. Of course, do rate this episode and um, hopefully with five stars and do comment too because it really does help um, push everything up and get seen more. And do share it, of course, with other women in business, but also uh, this episode in particular, if you know of anyone who's ever been uh, uh, in in a situation uh, similar to anything that I've shared with you today, do, do send it to them in case it can help them or they could find strength from uh, f- and draw from it in different ways to help them. So uh, that's it, everyone. Keep your ducks in a row. Stay safe, stay well, and I'll be back in two weeks with a very special guest. 